following is a special presentation of the Mars Attacks podcast, member of Talking Metal Digital. Hey, Metalheads and Headbangers, this is Doro Pants, and you're listening to Victor here on Mars Attacks Radio. I wish you a great time, rock on, and keep metal alive. Hi, this is Udo of UDO, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Don Jameson from That Metal Show on VH1 Classic, and you're listening to Mars Attacks Cranking. Yeah, ladies and gentlemen, this is Dave Windorf of Monster Magnet, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hi, this is Robert Flushman, and you're listening to Mars Attacks with Victor. Hello, my name is Blaze Bailey. You're listening to Mars Attacks. Radio. Yeah, this is John Schaefer from Iced Earth, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. What's up? This is Morgan from Kitty, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. What's up, everybody? This is John Bush from Armored Saint, and you are cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Hey there, this is Joey Vera from Armored Saint, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Welcome, one and all, to episode 113 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor, and we are back. We're continuing the coverage of Armored Saints' latest release, Win Hands Down. And this time around, we do have Mr. Joey Vera on board. And this is a very special interview for me in the sense that, I mean, for the John Bush interview, I was pretty nervous and trying not to be the fanboy pretty much and with the Joey Vera interview I tried to take a completely different perspective of what I talked about with John Bush Uh, since Joey is writing a lot of the material with John and producing the material there's a whole other gambit of questions that I wanted to throw at him regarding uh, the production of the album, working with different uh, members of the band to try to, you know, tweak and get the most out of them to get the best album possible. So during the course of the interview, you'll hear me discuss the album when hands down with him. Uh, you'll hear me discuss the writing, what it was like for him to take over the writing after Dave Pritchard had passed away. Uh, we talk about Dave Pritchard. We talk about once again, the track Dive, which to me is an amazing track. I mean, it's something that is so different to what they've done in the past. But at the same time, it isn't an out-and-out power ballad per se. You know, it's really, and I'll say this to him during the interview, it really reminds me of a mixture between Sign of the Southern Cross by uh, Black Sabbath and Pink Floyd. And I believe I said that during episode 112 as well. And that's exactly how I do feel about the track. Um, it is very cool. It is very different. It is very dark and moody. Uh, it isn't, again, it isn't about rainbows and unrequited love and 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 all that type of jazz that people, uh, you know, went to town with during the 80s, let's say. So, uh, we also talk about Motor Sister, uh, we talk about uh, his appearance on the Inside LA Metal scene, and there's one quote that he makes during that movie when I've referenced him during a lot of conversations, not only to get people to check the movie out, uh, but also I think he makes a valid point. It's something that, I mean, I never really thought of, and something that, you know, um... Uh, w- once you hear someone touch on a topic, it you know the the light bulb goes off per se, and you say, "Oh wow, you know, I never, I never realized that." But you're one hundred percent correct, you know. But uh, check that out. It's uh, Inside LA Metal is a DVD documentary. It's also on Amazon Prime, and um, I'm not sure if it's on Netflix or anything like that yet. But uh, definitely worthwhile watching. Uh, I know that um, uh, the next installment will also have 
uh, members of Armored Saint involved. I can't say to what capacity because I'm not sure that I am uh, allowed to say so. So uh, that's that. Check that out when it comes out as well. It's it's the following progression of metal. And uh, from what Bob, Bob Nalbandian has explained to me, uh, it's, it's more or less going to get to the point where they're going to discuss everything except for you know, what we've always heard about. We're, we're, they're not going to get into, you know, the Guns N' Roses and the Motley Crues and things like that when they explode and take off because I think we've all seen other documentaries cover this and, and I think it's genius that they're doing that because if you've watched the first two parts, it's cool because it's it's a history lesson. If you didn't live during that time period, if you weren't on the West Coast, you probably didn't know who Airborne was, not the Australian band, but the band that Don Dokken was in, for example. Uh, you wouldn't know who Dante Fox was. When I interview Gene Hoagland for the Classic Album Series, he talks about Dante Fox, and he actually says that he lent Great White his symbols for their first album. So uh, just all very interesting points, and um, check it out. Also check out our Classic Album Series. Uh, trying to ramp a lot of things up so that uh, we get the most out of the album series in the next few months. I know that we've sort of been on hiatus with that. It has been difficult for me to put those shows together, um, but uh, I am going to make a big, huge push for the month of September, at least. That is the idea uh, that that you'll get your fill. If I'm able to pull this off, you'll get your definite fill of classic albums for the month of September. And that's to sort of commemorate our sixth anniversary. You know, last year we sort of laid low big time uh, just due to health issues and whatnot. And this year we're we're trying to get back up to speed, started doing a lot of interviews again. This is the third straight episode with interviews. We haven't done that in really a long time. And a lot of that was really, you know, I don't know if it's... Uh, uh, if it's just me looking at, you know, being part of Talking Metal Digital and, you know, seeing the interviews that Mitch LaFon is pulling in and seeing the interviews that Mark Striegel is pulling in for Talking Metal and saying, you know, wow, how am I going to compete with these guys? You know, who's going to listen to my stuff when they've got such great interviews going on with such bigger name artists? And... Then the the light sort of went on a, a few weeks back, maybe about a month ago, when I started listening to that Unleash the Archers uh, album and saying, "Wow, you know, this is really cool." And this isn't an album that, or this is an album that probably isn't going to be covered by either one of those other two shows, you know. So why don't I sort of step in and start doing interviews again? and pull some of these other groups that either they're not interested in or, you know, they want nothing to do with. I mean, they're people that they interview, and I think the, the interviews are great, but a lot of, not a lot of times, but sometimes I really could care less about who they're speaking to because I'm just not into the music. I listen to it just to, uh, you know, listen to Mitch or, or Mark talk to these people, to hear interesting stories, you know, things of that nature. But a lot of times, you know, there are certain groups they talk to and and it's just, <laughs> it's, I, I was never into you. This interview will not make me get into you and and that's that. So, you know, there's no reason why I can't also try to fill a void for some of these smaller bands or, or mid-level bands. Or in this case, Armored Saint is a well-known band, but to my knowledge, neither one of them have gone out and, and interviewed them. And I think Armored Saint is a great band. Um, and I think this album, when hands down, is right now easily one of my top three favorite albums of the year. Uh, I Definitely top two is going to be these guys and Angela Sepatrida at this point in time. I don't know which one will, will end up on top at the end of the year. I may actually do a um, a show where I discuss the, uh, you know, the, the the albums that I've dug so far this year. I really like the Refused album as well. Um, there are others that people have been pretty high on that I haven't been as high on. 
I, I think the Faith No More album is good. I don't think it's great, like others have all of a sudden, you know, thought. But but I mean, I think that also takes place when a band has been away for so long. People are craving for um, <laughs> thinking of Saturday Night Live in my head. Craving Morehead. Uh, no, when people are um, craving to hear a group and they finally get an album after all these years. And even if it isn't mind-blowing, they think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. I mean, I could also be at fault with that, because when Black Sabbath's 13 came out, I really loved that. And there were people that really had a lukewarm uh, reaction to that, or maybe even poo-pooed the album altogether, just because, you know, they're comparing it to the original Sabbath and the original few, you know, albums that really you know, turned turned their world upside down or was at a point in time. And we talk about this all the time, how subjective and emotional music is when it hits you at a certain point in your life. You know, it sticks with you during certain hard times or when you want to look back and, and rehash certain things. You hear a song and all of a sudden it takes you back to that one moment that you identify with that song. So, I mean, I, I guess I can understand that. Um, what else? I really liked the, the Marilyn Manson album that came out earlier this year. Um, and there are a bunch of others that just aren't coming to mind right now. I, I want to get all the other stuff out there um, to, to let you guys know what's going on is what I should say. I'm going back and forth fumbling with things at the moment. I do apologize. But, uh, yeah, I just want to remind you guys to go to MarsAttacksRadio.com. And check out all the fun and exciting things that we do have going on with um, Mars Attacks. We have uh, Signals from Mars, which is opinion pieces that I put together. I haven't done one in about a week or so. Figured with the holiday, less people than usual, we're going to be checking them out. Um, I will probably start to um, put them together again. And I may switch them to... To Mondays, because I mean, with that and the the Monday morning question, really touch upon the sort of the same topic. So you know, it might be better just to combine the two. I don't know. I'm thinking out loud as as I'm recording this, but we'll see. We also have um, we usually do a, a bootleg each week, which is some type of a live show that I find on YouTube. We also um, do different things with. Um, uh, do like a classic video of the week on Wednesdays. And there are other things that we've thought of putting together, but just haven't had the time to do so. Working on something once again. Behind the scenes, uh, trying to set up my own business and a few other things to go along with it to um, sort of help generate income. And we'll see where that takes us. I know that there's some out there that know of uh, what I intend on doing, and they've sort of um, have had a lukewarm reaction, reaction. Let's just say that. So, anyway, I uh, want to remind you guys to go to all the lovely places, places, excuse me, like um, Facebook to keep up with all the social media aspects of facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. We're also on Google Plus. Uh, as Mars Attacks Radio as well, and up on Twitter as Mars Aries 2005. So follow us, like us, do all that great stuff, and uh, help tell your friends about us, the old Vinnie Vincent quote there. But um, yes, help spread the word, and those of you that do, we greatly appreciate that you take the time to do so. I know that people have been leaving comments up on iTunes, uh, please continue to do so. If you ever want to drop us a line, just uh, do so by sending us an email at input at marsattacksradio.com or you could always do so via Facebook or Twitter or the Google Plus site. So there you go. Um, not really going to extend things much longer because the interview with uh, Joey is actually pretty long. Uh, it is close to uh, 40 some odd minutes, almost 50, and um, actually I should say that the last few minutes were edited out just because we are building towards the Sound of White Noise uh, classic albums 
column, which will have comments from uh, not only John Bush, but Charlie Benante and uh, Joey Vera. At the moment, we're trying to get additional members, current and former, of Anthrax involved. We'll see what happens with that, but um, yeah, we'll keep you guys up to date as the weeks and time goes by. And I uh, hope you guys will enjoy uh, that episode once it comes out. In any event, let's get into some Armored Saint. Um, there's so many things to choose from off of this new album. You really can't go wrong with any of the tracks. Uh, let's get into one of the tracks that um, were, was released before the album came out. That was streaming. It is an exercise in debauchery, all about all about people's addiction to porn. So there you go. Uh, we'll play a little bit of this track, and then we'll hop right into the interview with Joey, and we'll come out of it with some Armored Saint before you know saying goodbye as usual. So anyway, here's a little bit of Armored Saint for you guys. <laughs> I wanted to talk a little bit about When Hands Down. Um, the album really seems to have an old school feel to it, as if it was recorded on tape, but done in a more modern digital format. Obviously, a lot of bands are transitioning to this sort of feel. Um, was that a conscious effort on your behalf as the producer? Yeah, you know, we didn't uh, we didn't go out of our way to um, to actually do that because it's it's quite expensive actually recording the tape um but um we did you know kind of use the same theory and philosophy as we did on la raza which was you know use as much vintage outboard gear like preamps and boards and stuff before it gets to the computer which is how we are recording everything and recording everything in pro tools but yeah, I mean, all all the studios that we went to, I specifically chose based on their analog outboard gear. So um, that was certainly a conscious effort to to get that to just you know just to have that that uh, ingredient, you know. Okay, and you also touched upon another interesting thing that I discovered while reaching or re, excuse me, reading the liner notes is that you guys did record this in a bunch of different studios. Um, what's the advantage to doing that as opposed to just going into one studio and knocking everything out? Well, for one thing, it's cheaper. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, uh, kind of a bargain hunter you have to be these days because, you know, 
we don't have the ginormous budgets that we once had in the early 80s. So you have to make sure that your money is well spent and that, you know, you have some money left over at the end to pay up ourselves for actually working. Um, so, you know, I have become a bargain hunter and I look around for the best places that have, you know, a good balance of of quality gear and also really good prices. So that was something that I did. I mean, that's part of my job as the producers, basically overseeing the entire budget and how the money is spent too. So um, that was the reason for that, choosing three different places to do it. Um, is basically a budgetary reason. But, um, you know, in the end also it, it was kind of cool because it broke things up as far as the the working schedule. And it was kind of good to have that just to break away and start fresh, you know, in a different studio. Um, it just kind of helped clear the mind a little bit before we began each session. Okay. And obviously there's a... So a different sound between each of the albums that you've produced for the band. Um, is Was that also a conscious effort that you wanted to go in different directions from the production standpoint with each of the albums, or did that just come a, come about organically? Well, I think in the end, the, the that's just something that kind of happens sonically based on the different people that you work with and also the different studios that you work with work with you get different results obviously um but something funny about our band is and it's probably has more to do with the writing um than it does the actual production but we've never really made the same record twice we've always each record we make is slightly different than the one before it um even just even just stylistically you know musically speaking um so I guess it's no surprise that each one sounds differently too um, because of that. But um, it's not something, that isn't something we're actually striving for. I mean, to be honest with you, we have spent our whole career trying to find our own identity and our own, um, our own sort of sound. But it's funny, but um, not until really recently in the past five years or so, I've realized that, that is our sound, the fact that we don't have a sound, you know. Um, we sort of are a band that's on our own island in a way. Um, and like I said in the, a little bit ago, we've always been sort of striving to find that. And in the beginning, it was a little bit frustrating that we we didn't have our own thing, our own sound, and, and uh, we had a hard time sort of, you know, fitting in and, people getting what we were doing because we there were some divisions that were being drawn by fans and by the press back in the 80s you know like you had different genres of metal and we didn't really fit into any of the genres but we fit into all of them too at the same time so it was people didn't really know what to make of us i think along the way i mean some people did but a lot of people didn't and so this is something that we kind of just recently started embracing though. We just kind of said to ourselves, you know, this is, this is actually kind of cool that we, we don't really owe anybody anything. Let's say, for instance, we just kind of can do our own thing. So that encourages us to really push the boundaries and try to try to do different things and unusual things and push our own sort of limitations that we feel like we have. Um, so, you know, I think it's, I think maybe that's what, what people hear is that, is, uh, is, is us attempting to just, to do that, is just to try different things. And as a result, each record sounds a bit different. So as a producer, do you go into the album thinking, you know, I really want to push this member of the band to do this on this album, or I'd really like to try this out with this other member to see if we could sort of get this out of them on this album? Well, um, you know, there's two things. The first thing was that while we were writing, John and I, um, we we had several conversations about this, and we we just we said to ourselves that you know 
let's just pretend that we can do we're like the biggest band in the world and it, and it didn't matter what we did like we had this freedom to just do whatever we wanted and so that's kind of how we went ahead with all the writing and um you know it, i was purposefully challenging myself to you know play with different arrangements and um you know just really push push boundaries and not settle on you know well the song has to have a guitar solo in it you know things like that um so um we just really challenged ourselves and tried to do different things and push all those boundaries and then personally with all the guys i mean some of the music that i ended up writing was a little challenging for some of them to play because of that so um they um you know for instance, um, the, our, our drummer Gonzo, for instance, he's he's very much um, has his own idiosyncratic way of playing, and um, he the music that I started writing for this record, some of it was sort of on the progressive side. I mean, by comparison, it's certainly not a progressive record by any means, but com- by comparison to what we've how we've been in the past and the kind of grooves and rhythms that I've written in the past were a little bit more sort of simplified. But some of the things I wrote this time were challenging and I ended up, you know, kind of writing some of the drum parts for him and I always told him like, you know, I want you to have your own voice. So I want you to interpret this in your own way. But this is the direction I want you to go in, you know. So that was a that was maybe a way where he wasn't so used to, you know, so he, he actually had a lot of work cut out for him and he rose to the occasion in the end. It's, he did a great job and it sounds great, but um, maybe that's an example of me pushing him in that way. But, you know, I do that with all the guys though, because I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm the director, I'm the musical director, producer, whatever you want to call it. And so someone is sitting there and that would be me, um, you know, during all of their performances, every single one of them. And I'm the one who kind of says, you know, that's great. Don't change it. Or I think you can do better or, you know, let's try this or, you know, do that again. You know, um, that's not, you know, checking tuning and just all those things overseeing the entire thing. So, um, you know, I, I know all of them well enough to know. I've known, I've known them so long. We all, just have a long friendship and I, and I know psychologically how much I'm able to push someone and, and I know when it's enough and I know when to stop. So um, it works out really well. You touched on one area there that was very important. Obviously, since 2000's Revelation, you have done the bulk of the writing with uh, John Bush and you seem to have had a clear vision of where you wanted to go with a band or a clear progression anyway, how important is it to you to make sure that, you know, you sort of keep the reins in and no matter what others suggest or, or maybe even no matter what you're doing in other bands, you don't let that go way beyond the Armored Saint blueprint? Well, you know, it's important for us to, um, you know, uh, have kind of a point person in the group. We've spent a lot of years where, where we d- we had this sort of uh, democracy and, and everybody had a voice. And at times it, that really uh, created a lot of inertia and a lot of confusion because there was just too many chefs in the kitchen, basically. Um, so a lot of things just never, I don't know, we probably didn't reach some potentials that we might have had someone was more of a head person. And I say the only person that was really kind of starting to get like that, especially during the writing of Raising Fear and and then um, the songs that ultimately ended up on cymbal was Dave Pritchard, of course, um, being the sole guitar player at the time in the band. And he was um, a very strong, kind of, he could have a strong personality, although he was kind of inconsistent in that sense, in that personality. But at times he became very headstrong and very much the leader in that sense. And so, when he passed away, there was no one left, you know. Um, I guess I was the one that was next in line on, on that sort of, I don't know, on that um, 
that uh, ladder, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, so I just had to step up during symbol and kind of take the reins at that point and say, okay, we got to make these songs. We got to pay these songs justice for Dave, and we've worked a long time. Let's make this record. It's a difficult record to make in that sense, but I was the one who kind of just said, okay, let's do it. This is, I'm going to take charge, and I'm going to make sure that all the performances are cool, and that's why I kind of have co-production credits on Symbol. Um, and I think that we realized that me doing that, um, it was important for having to have someone in the group just to make decisions, you know, basically the guy to go, eh, that's not cool. I don't think we should do that, you know. And whether it was a majority vote or not, you know, someone had to be the, the final say, you know. Um, so I just sort of assumed that role back then, and it's kind of grown you know, naturally to where it is now, it wasn't something that was really calculated. And um, at the point where we're at now, even I think the last two records is probably more obvious than anything else is that John and I have just kind of become this writing team where we see things on the same page um, more frequently than we do with everybody as a group. So it's not that everyone doesn't have a say or have an opinion or has the ability to contribute music because they all do. But in the end, John and I are the ones who sort of look up, look on the page and say, okay, this doesn't fit. This does fit. This doesn't fit, you know? And so we're the ones in the end that have to sort of make those, make those decisions. So it's, it's, hyper important for us to have that. Um, I don't think we would like to, uh, you know, it's, I think that people are starting to maybe re-identify with us um, at this point, And I think it's largely due to that fact. Um, how difficult was the transition from Dave doing a lot of the writing to, or being the, the more vocal person to you taking over that spot? Did you, feel a lot of pressure to do that or did that just all come natural to you well you know it was pretty natural because the um you know i was also i've also been a co-writer the whole time since day one from armored saint so it's not like i never wrote anything until dave passed away so dave and i actually co-wrote a whole bunch of stuff together so um but when he passed away yeah i mean i certainly felt like a a huge uh, kind of a, you know, a little bit of a pressure, just basically just like spearheading this thing and saying, okay, we're going to go that way, you know, and the guitar sounds should sound like this. And, you know, the performances should be this. And, you know, we should choose these songs for the record. You know, someone had to sort of take some sort of like artistic, director license and just make it move and, and, you know, and rally the troops in the same breath, you know, like guys, this is, this, this is the way I think we should go, you know, come with, let's go this way, you know? Um, so it was a little bit of a challenge for me because, um, I think when, during my earlier youth and my early teen, uh, twenties, I was, I was a little bit more of a, and my personality is very sort of, um, I don't know, I'm a very mellow person. I'm not an A-type personality. I don't have that kind of like, you know, um, I don't know. I, I'm not I'm not like a, I wasn't a natural-born leader, let's say. Um, so this is something that I kind of learned how to do over the years. And I'm, I'm a pretty good, you know, A person now. But um, at the time, it was something like I was sort of maybe coming to terms with maybe some aspects about my personality or something, and I was growing as a person. So I made, went through a lot of metamorphoses during my late 20s and all through my 30s. And, um, you know, definitely a different person now, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm certainly a lot of aspects are the same, but <laughs> when it comes to, um, when it comes to, like, my work ethic, um, it's a lot different than it used to be. Gotcha. Okay. 
one of the things that I always find good and bad about the internet, obviously the internet allows me to have a, a podcast, but at the same time it gives a lot of voice to people that probably have no business spewing garbage on the net. Um, one of the things that you sort of touched upon with your last answer in being a co-writer and being part of the band from the start, I found it sort of unfair to see some comments saying, well, you know, since Dave isn't around, this happened to the band or that happened to the band. It isn't as if you guys went out and hired some big, you know, person that writes all these hits to try to come in and, and change the sound of the band. There's definitely aspects of this album and every album before it that doesn't feature Dave that still has the, you know, Armored Saint feel and sound to it, regardless whether he's on it or not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's, uh, you know, again, it's like uh, it's it's gone through metamorphosis since, you know, there was a few songs that were left over from Symbol that that uh, we tinkered with that were written with Dave, but since Revelation, really, it's kind of been a clean slate, you know, but, um, you know, I'll tell you, like, um, you know, I mean, there's one thing about, you know, one thing about that is like about some fans looking at the old stuff and saying it'll never be the same. And, you know, for some for some people, it'll just never be the same. And <laughs> you can't please everybody and you can't um, you can't go back in time either. So it's like we never had any never had any interest in trying to recreate or recapture something we did on Delirious Nomad or even Rick Symbol Salvation or whatever. We just always want to feel like we're moving forward. You know, we want to grow and we want to just turn into, we want to see what else we can do. This whole thing, this whole band thing with us has been an exploration, you know, and it's it's been a great ride and we, we love what, everything we've done. We take pride in, you know. Um, but, you know, We've, like I said, we just said a second ago, we kind of have almost started with a clean slate in the last two records. And, um, you know, one thing that I do, what I did a little bit more on this record than than I did maybe on La Raza was that I I kind of took a brief look over my shoulder and, and I looked at like, well, what is it that people like about us? Like, why why do people keep saying, you know, I hope they make another symbol of salvation or I hope they make another, you know, raising fear or delirious nomad or whatever. And I'm like, why do they say those things? Like, what is it that, what is it that we did then that we're not doing now? You know? And it's really strange for me because I'm so close to the band. I, I don't really understand a lot of those sort of attitudes. And so I decided to say, to sort of look at my, look at what we've done as a band and as a career and said, well, let me look at some things that I think that we, that I think in my opinion, what we do well and specifically about, you know, music, you know, the way that we play. And so I said, well, I kind of like the way we do, the like I, I kind of like a lot of things where the bass and drums, the kind of grooves that we had about our band in certain songs and instances, I sort of thought that set apart from a lot of other metal bands. And so I decided to capitalize more on that. I said, I want to write some stuff that kind of features, you know, Gonzo and the, and the bass player a little bit more. And so that was a conscious thing for me to go back and say, well, I'm going to kind of take this groove and, and I'm going to play with it again. You know, I think that we do this well. So that was something that was conscious. And then another thing was, you know, the way that, you know, I think that people maybe missed the way Dave played guitar. So I, I wrote a couple of things that was, that were sort of with Dave Pritchard in mind, you know, it's not like, not like I went back and tried to steal something that we've already done, but it was more about revisiting something that we, that we do well. And so those are things that were maybe kind of conscious that I brought into the fold writing this new record i think maybe that's something that's resonating with people subconsciously i don't think it's a very obvious thing but i think that subconsciously there's something there that people are really gravitating towards this time maybe a little bit more than our raza um maybe because of the like i said i had this in my consciousness 
on the album, you guys actually or, or obviously took a real departure with the track Dive. Uh, my first time that I listened to it, it reminded me a lot of like uh, The Sign of the Southern Cross by Black Sabbath, sort of mixed with Pink Floyd. Um, but now that, you know, I can go to the horse's mouth, per se, what was your inspiration for putting such a different track together? Well, it all started with John coming to me telling me that he wanted to do something with a piano. He says, I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's 30 seconds long or a whole song. I, I want to I want to sing with a piano. So um, I, I, I wrote a couple things on piano, but I wasn't really that happy with them. And then I rediscovered this guitar part that I had for... Um, it was it wasn't really for anything. It was just something I'd written several years ago. Um, but it was all played on acoustic guitar and I decided to um I decided to transpose it on the piano and then I relearned it and that's basically the verse the verse section in the song. So I played that and then basically I wrote the entire rest of the song fairly quickly, probably about an hour. Um and then the rest of the song was done and I thought, well, this is, this is really cool. So at that point I said, well, I still want to make this like, um, I want this to be different. I don't want to write a ballad, you know, I don't want it to be just a big power ballad, you know, a big guitar solo and, and then the chorus and this big, this, I don't know, the arrangement of it, you know, I didn't want it to be, uh, sort of atypical, you know? So, I purposefully wanted to make it very dark and mysterious and, and dreamy. And I, at that point I said, I have, I'm going to go total Pink Floyd with this. So the Pink Floyd was certainly an, an inspiration at that moment. I said, okay, this is the way I'm going to push the song. So I definitely went with the Pink Floyd vibe on it. Um, and I just wanted it to be very hypnotic and I, I didn't want it to necessarily have this big giant crescendo at the end. Um, I just kind of wanted it to be this own thing and have it just be very hypnotic. Okay. And how does working with all the other projects that you've been involved over the years, how do you feel that that makes you a better member of Armored Saint? Well, I certainly think that my involvement with Faith's Warning, I've been with them for 17 years now and I've made a lot of records with them and I've done tons of touring and become great friends with them and also played with some amazing musicians along the way, a lot of different versions of Faith's Warning. Um, and um, that certainly has made me a much better player and a better songwriter. It's helped me exercise my knowledge of theory a lot more um so i mean that one alone has been a huge um a huge help in making me just a better all-around musician um, but everything i do with everybody i'm involved with i take away a lot from so i learn something from everything i do i you know i have this other group with uh scotty and called Motor Sister, and it's a completely different animal than all of those things mentioned. And that's, there's some amazing players in that group and people. So, I mean, I learn, I take away so much from those guys. Um, I play on Pearl of Days. She's got a solo record coming out, and it's a country rock record. And that's something that's complete 360 for me, you know, especially from Armored Saint. It's complete opposite end of the spectrum. But that's a whole nother ball of wax. It's a whole nother way to play. And also, again, playing with some great musicians and singers. And it's just, it's, it's just an amazing project. And again, you know, you learn something from everyone that you're in the same room with and you plug in and you jam with. There's a, you know, it's a, it's a music's like a, it's a language and it's a communication. So I take away everything I have that I learned from all these conversations basically is what they are with all these other great musicians and people it just makes me a better person you know and a better musician so i I'm, I'm glad that i have absorbed all that through the years and i've had the 
great opportunity to play play with a lot of amazing people and um you know I'm, I'm glad that I can bring that to Armored Saint at this point. Reading how Motor Sister got together reminds me of sort of growing up reading magazines and reading about how so and so walked into a bar and started jamming with another band and how a jam turned into uh, amongst a bunch of bigger known musicians turned into something else. Um Motor Sister obviously just came together because of you guys just wanting to jam a few tunes and um, yeah. it evolved into something else. Um, did you imagine that it was going to evolve that way? No, no idea. No idea at all. It was just something that was, it was totally a, a for fun thing, had no concept of any of that. Um, the only thing that maybe was a slight spark was after after the jam, um, we were all just drinking, you know, and it was, it was so much fun. We just kept saying, I wish we could do that again. You know, like we should just, let's do this again. And, and then somebody said, it might've even been me, but somebody said, um, you know what? The world needs to hear this. Cause that was so rad. And like, I wish everyone could, could know what this is, but that was the end of it. You know, it was like, yeah, that would be, that would be awesome. You know, but, that was it. It wasn't like we said the next day, like, okay, let's, you know, here's our five point flat plan on how, on how to, let's get this out to the masses. We're going to get a, make a demo and we're going to go get signed and blah, blah, blah. That was not, that was definitely not a conversation. We had. So it kind of came out of the blue out of, uh, you know, you probably read the press release, but came out of a, of just a happen chance conversation with, Someone completely that was at at the party, but it was it was just some it was in passing, you know, to someone at the record label, and and then word got back to us and said, hey, that that thing you did sounds like it was really cool. How would you like to record it? And we're like, what? Really? Okay. <laughs> it was really that simple. It was weird. You guys have done a a few shows already. Do you envision doing more? Do you envision doing an, another album with the band at some point down the road? Yeah, we're actually um, uh, next month. I'm sorry, in September, Armored Saints going out with Saxon again in the U.S. and um, we're doing about two and a half weeks with them. But after that, um, I'm going out with Motor Sister, and we're doing the motorboat cruise. You know, with Motorhead and later and whatever and i think anthrax is on it um a bunch of cool bands on it and um motor Stitch is going to be on that and we're playing you know two gigs um and we have had conversations about um doing writing together about doing another record maybe writing new material and seeing where it goes and see what happens um because we all get along so well and we know exactly the type of animal that Motor Sister is. So we're going to, um, we're just going to start writing and see what happens. You know, if, if it turns into a record, great. If for some reason we can't get it off the ground, we're not going to make it a big stress thing, you know, because the reason we do this, this project is because it's tons of fun. So as long as we can keep it that way, we'll, we'll probably make another record. Okay, cool. Have you ever thought of putting out another solo album? Yeah, yeah um, I have uh, a few things that I have written. In fact, one of the things, actually, the, the that that part I told you about for Dive, the verse section was originally written on guitar. Was that was actually something I wrote for um, for my solo project. So I, I kind of took it out for, for the Iron Saint record, but. Um, I have a little bit of things. I definitely want to do one. Um, I've been like, I have a hard time. I'm kind of one of these people that works very obsessively. And once I start something, I want to finish it. So I have to um, block out a good chunk of time to actually sit down and, 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 and do a record. I have a hard time doing it piecemeal. So I've been super busy with all these other things going on that I haven't had a I haven't had a good time to block out my mind and actually do it, but I I do I do want to. I have a few things 
lying around that I have written that I would like to use for it. So I have a little bit of a head start. You were involved in a documentary for a good friend of mine, Bob Nalbandian, called uh, Inside L.A. Metal. And to me, there's something that you say towards the end of um, one of the parts with you're referring to MTV and the damage that it did and how that sort of became the national airwaves for everyone and sort of destroyed the, the, the various regional touring areas that were previously established that it sort of blew my mind when I heard it, but it made so much sense. Um, was this something that you always felt when MTV first came along that it was, that it was going to harm what metal was back in the eighties, how it was going to evolve over the years, or is this something that you realized in retrospect after everything that you've experienced? Well, I think, I think I knew at the time, you know, I mean, I certainly MTV was introduced to me in the early, in the early eighties, you know, and I think at the time it was, I think everyone was happy. It was like, you know, it was an outlet for, for music and for everything. And it was a great way to see music in a, in a way that you never saw before, you know, but I sort of, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not claiming to be like Mr. Soothsayer over here, but, you know, I started to see it sort of damaging the art form a little bit because, you know, I would sometimes see a video for a song that I knew or liked or I had heard the music first and the visual part of it really sort of ruined the song for me. <laughs> and so I sort of, I thought that, that was a strange thing. Like, hmm, you know, this this is a bit of a double-edged sword. Like some, sometimes this is a good way to show people a different way of your of your music but it also can be sort of damaging you know and uh i think that uh when you listen to music um everybody it's a very um subjective art form you know everybody takes their own uh or they take their own sort of feelings from it then they're very individual you know whenever you look at a piece of art on the wall you know it's the same thing. You look at it and you interpret something in your own way. And no, no, no two people really interpret things exactly the same way. The same thing's true with music, you know, it makes you feel a certain way and you have your own visuals and you have your own idea about what the singer's writing about. And you kind of conjure up your own, your own experience in your mind. So when you see music, when when it was, I started to see this stuff on TV, it was like, that's not at all what I imagined, you know? <laughs> and so, you know, that just, from that was one thing. And then it escalated to the point where during, um, specifically talking about heavy metal, at least, um, you know, it, it certainly turned it into a sort of a showboat situation, especially when the hair, the hair metal scene blew up and, um, everything, all the bands, I don't know, in my mind anyway, started to look the same and sound the same. And and then it became like the masses sort of looked at that and said, well, well, this is, this is everyone's idea of what heavy metal is. And then to me, that was just, that was that, that was it. I mean, that was just, that was the final nail on the coffin. And that's, that's at that moment when I said, Oh, it's over. And this, it just, they ruined it, you know? Um, but you know, it's you know it's funny though like like I said it is a double-edged sword I mean you, there's certainly a lot of cool videos out there too it's not to say that they were all shitty you know but um, and I think it just sort of depends on how you use it and and you know what you what kind of content you create yeah I agree I mean I think looking back there are a lot of videos that you can look at now and groups maybe look sort of clownish or sort of foolish trying to do some type of hip funny video or whatever. And you look at it 30 some odd years later and it looks dated and out of whack where, you know, there are other videos like you're saying that were great that are almost timeless, but those are almost few and far between. Yeah. You know, and and we're not immune to it either. I mean, we, I, I look at some of our, well, we only we didn't make that many videos, but, um, 
Last Train Home is not one of my favorite videos. <laughs> and, and, and in hindsight, if I would go back and do it differently, I would. But um, that's just, you know, again, um, you, you were in a position or, or a time when it was sort of necessary to do those things. And, um, you know, um, the comment I made was, was about, was kind of being specific about the, the general sense of the industry at that time and um, where basically heavy metal, in particular heavy metal, had become this giant manufacturing plant that was just churning out the same, you know, cookie cutter band every year after year. And um, that was, that's what I was really referring to was that's when it was the end. And the best thing that happened to that whole music industry and genre was when grunge came out because that was just such a breath of fresh air. It was like, Oh God, thank you. You know, um, I, I embraced that whole thing. I don't know if anybody else did, but I, I was glad that when that came around and you know, it, it was, it was cool too, because at that time, you know, the metal bands, not like they went away. I mean, that kind of gave birth to like a lot of cool, there was a cool reaction to that. That's when, you know, for instance, death metal was born out of that rebellion. And there's a lot of creative death metal bands came out of that. Pantera came out of that and they forged their own whole vibe, which influenced thousands of people after that, you know, Slayer survived it. You know, they came out of it alive and did great things as well. So, and that just gave birth to all these other bands that came later, Lamb of God and, and so forth, you know. Um, so it was a, a necessary thing, I guess, to happen, but still, still happened. <laughs> hey there, this is Joey Vera from Armored Saints, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. <laughs> Cheers. 
All right, a little dive there. I've been talking about the track these last few weeks, uh, both with the John Bush episode and with the Joey Vera episode. Definitely check Wind Hands Down out. Again, you can't go wrong with any of the tracks off the album. I'm not just saying that uh, to kiss ass. I've mentioned that a bunch of times, and I mean, if there's an album that I don't like, if there's an artist that I don't like, I tend to not talk about them. Um, If there's someone that I vehemently enjoy their album, I tend to kiss their ass and do what I've been doing with these episodes, so there you go. I want to thank Joey for coming on. It was absolutely great to speak to him for the first time. Hope to do so at some point again in the future, also want to thank George from Concrete Marketing for setting everything up. Uh, those guys over there have been nothing but gracious with um, with hooking me up with both John and Joey to talk about the album. And go check Armored Saint out when they're out on the road. And if not, Joey's already talked about uh them doing motor city shows or motor sister excuse me i knew i was going to say motor city at some point motor sister check that out so a uh, very fun album very different to what they're doing in armored saint i think it's a cool album very you know it's a 70s rock album basically um it's one rock was was rock <laughs> you know when it wasn't uh you know as much as i love the evolution of music and Uh, different bands that have come out afterwards, uh, there's just something about certain eras and and certain styles of music and how it was done at one point in time or another. And I'm not the type of person to say, oh, well, metal died when when grunge came around. Far from it, man. Uh, Check out the classic album series just to see that that's like the total opposite of of what I do think uh, because... I mean, there's so many great albums that came out in the 90s. There are so many great albums that are coming out now that have come out last year. You know, it's all it all just depends, you know, how willing you are to listen to the stuff. And if, if you need to, you know, constantly go back to a pedestal and compare everything to Master of Puppets or, or Symbol of Salvation in this case. Uh, but if not, I mean, I definitely think that um, you know Wind Hands Down could possibly be the strongest album that Armored Saint has put out in their entire history but uh, getting back to Motor Sister rock is just so degenerated you know and it's it's splintered like everything else you know everything else that's rock based because for the most part Rock music has just become very commercialized and almost, you know, it's almost pop to an extent. And, and I like pop music. I like different types of music that isn't rock and metal. And you may be hearing more of that in the near future. We'll we'll keep you posted on that. Hint, hint. Um, but yeah, the way that Motor Sister sounds, I mean, I do understand that it is all... Uh, a covers album basically but um yeah just um i i would give it a listen to if you're if you're into 70s rock once again and uh, i think it's a very enjoyable album to listen to one of the people involved in that is pearl a day who's also scott ian's wife and she's also on one track off of wind hands down by armored saint she is on the track with a with a head full of steam. I almost messed that up. But anyway, we're going to exit this episode with that track. want to thank all you guys for hanging in there and listening to the show. And hope you come back and we see you real soon right here on the Mars Attacks podcast. See ya. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show.